Hey everybody, I just got back from the first weekend of the Austin City Limits Music Festival. Woo, was it fun. Definitely hot and humid, and I do mean humid, but I love attending. Always a super experience. In the wrap-up for this episode 34 podcast, Muddy and I will give you our perspectives on the bands that we saw at the ACL Festival. In fact, as soon as I finish the editing of this episode 34 with guest Kim Harridge, I will be buying vinyl for several of the artists that we saw this past ACL weekend. Just a reminder, in last week's episode 33 with Ed Bailey, VP for Brand Development at Austin City Limits, I announced a drawing for the Stevie Ray Vaughan live DVD recorded at ACL. Just a few of you have entered the drawing. There's still time to get your email slash name in the hat for the drawing. Here's a hint. Check out the last 10 minutes of the show to find out the guidelines to win. The date for the drawing is next Tuesday, October 16th. Good luck. Okay, let's move on with the podcast. Kim Harridge is a friend and an amazing musician. He plays the guitar, pedal steel, dobro, and mandolin with grace and style. Back in the day, his band Feet First competed for gig time with the New Bohemians, For Reasons Unknown, and other rising star bands in the DFW area. Let's talk with Kim about music and the bands he's playing with now. Amy, please, please, please kick off the podcast. This is the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. Listen up. It's all about the music. Let's check in on the artists, songs, and people behind the scenes. Are you listening? All right, everybody. This is Doug Finn, and Muddy, sitting behind me, has handed over the mic to Kim Harridge, good friend of mine. From our church and golf days. We were we won a we golf tournament. We won a tournament, yes, we did. I uh, know, that was kind of wild. But he is also one of the best musicians I know. He plays the guitar, the pedal steel, the dobro, the mandolin. I'll bet you play more than that, too, if you got a chance. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm pushing the limit on those four there. All right. But he's got two bands right now in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Lucky Pierre's, which is a country band, and then Over the River, which is a bluegrass band. And we'll get, we'll get into all that, but I want to welcome Kim Harridge. Welcome to the Dogger and Muddy Music Show, Kim. Hey, I'm honored to be here. To sit in the same spot that Jim Suler sat, I feel pretty good. That's pretty good. And Tim DeLauder and... A whole bunch we, of friends of mine. We've had some good... art. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned earlier, before we started the interview, that you didn't start playing instruments uh, when you were in high school or whatever. You nope. started playing... When did you start playing? college ut austin where a lot of people start i'd been a big music buff my whole life from eight years on you know i was a beach boy fan in the early days but uh, when i got to austin i finally had some spare time and went to Dobie mall and bought an acoustic guitar which i still have what what kind a epiphone an epiphone and my my 13 year old's playing it that's his that's his (laughs) banger guitar and started learning how to play guitar and Mostly rock. What's interesting is you were there when Willie and Waylon and all of them were taken off, but you didn't head over that way. Well, progressive country was omnipresent in Austin at that time. And I hung out with a different group of guys that wanted to be a little off the beaten track. And so we sort of um, leaned towards prog rock, 
Whether that was a wise move or not, I don't know, because I know I missed a bunch of shows at Armadillo headquarters to see some band doing a Rush medley. In that while, <laughs> and you, you usually played what at Mother Earth? Is that right? Mother Earth was the main band, uh, main place we went to see bands. I wasn't playing it. You know, I was not near good enough to play it. Mother Earth back in the mid-70s when I was going to see people in college. So when did you sell your soul to the guitar? Mm, 76, I first got into a band and bought an electric guitar and an amp and, yeah, bought some platform heel shoes and (laughs) wanted to be Rocky Athos. Yeah, I've played ever since. Damn. How many guitars you got? Ruben and I together, he claims a lot of my guitars. I'll come home, he's playing the Jazz Master one day, and then next day he's playing the telly. I got about 20. Wow. The Jazz Master is making a huge comeback. The yes. lead guitarist in my band, he uh, got one of those new Jazz Masters and absolutely loves yeah, it. Yeah, they have a distinct sound. I bought one primarily because of the soft spot in my heart for the Beach Boys, but... They're not surf, just surf guitars. They can get gnarly, you know. Yeah. Johnny Marr plays one. Yeah, we did a what song? We did a Petty song last night, and it sounded it sounded really good with a Tom Petty song yeah. when we jammed yeah. last yeah, night. Yeah, they cut through real well. Good, good. Let's let's help our audience a little bit. I mentioned earlier that you play the pedal steel, and then there's also the lap steel that uh, Bob Wills and his people, Leon McAuliffe, and other people are famous for. Now, you play the pedal steel. Can you clarify for our audience the difference between a pedal steel and a lap steel, Kim? Yeah, a lap steel, whether it has six strings or eight or ten, the strings are all stationary. What a pedal steel is, you take the lap steel and you apply levers and pedals basically creating four to six whammy bars on individual strings that detune or pull sharp the note by a predetermined amount so a pedal steel you can play a one four five song and never move the bar across the strings because you've got pedals that will change the notes and you're controlling those pedals typically with your feet, right? Feet and knees. Feet and knees. Yeah. Uh, next time I see uh, uh, pedal steel, I have to watch the knees. On the those knees guys. go from side to side <laughs> to catch levers. So you've usually got three to eight pedals, and then you've got usually four levers. So each leg. Four levers? Each leg goes both ways. So you can play the same note can go sharp, flat, or. Right on. Right. The uh, E string, generally on an E9 pedal steel, is the hardest to get tuned perfectly because one pedal raises it a full step, one lever raises it a half step, and the other lever flattens it a half step. So you've got three whammy bars on one individual string. So it is kind of like rubbing your belly and patting your head at the same time. Correct. Or... Your standard transmission, when you learn how to do that and you don't think about it, that's pretty much what a pedal steel is. Yeah, gotcha. Kim, your band Over the River is a bluegrass band. And you mentioned before we started the interview that that is really a po- your most popular band. You you gig a lot during the course of the year doing bluegrass. We have um, a couple of dynamic front people, uh, Flora May Holiday and Eric Swanson. Flora May is a neighbor of mine. Yes, she's an Oak Cliff person. And we play a lot of gigs. Bluegrass is, and we're not really strictly bluegrass because we have a drummer. 
which purists shy away from in bluegrass. And we do songs outside of a pure bluegrass form. Um, to me, pure bluegrass is almost like jazz musicians playing country music. They have to be almost virtuosos on their instrument. Solos can be long and lots of improvisation. We do some of that, but we are more of a, a song-based band where it has a bluegrass sound to it, but we're kind of sticking to a a set arrangement of the song. We've got a few that we go off on and can right. jam for a while, but a lot of bluegrass bands can just... Well, like the the concert you and I both went to about five months ago, or maybe it was longer ago, where we saw Jerry Douglas down at the Kessler. Exactly. I mean, I was blown away. Yeah, they can go and go and go and never repeat what they're doing. They just blow. It also goes back to your statement of jazz. To me, I was sitting there going, man, this is jazz music. Without a doubt. I heard Steve Earle one time at the Lakewood Theater, and he said that bluegrass musicians were underpaid like jazz musicians, and they had to be just as good as jazz musicians. They were just playing a different type of music than traditional jazz. I showed Kim earlier, I got an album at the Jerry Douglas show, and on there is the Hey Joe song that he played in the concert. Right. And I mean, I'm sitting there going, he's playing Hey Joe, and I mean, it's it's fascinating. Well, and he also played a Mahavishnu Orchestra song that night, too. And you're that, right, that you're right. blew me away that a dude on Dobro was playing John McLaughlin stuff. <laughs> yeah, John McLaughlin and Jaco Pastoria. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, just, yeah, some of the greatest in that world. But you also mentioned the purists. So like a guy named Bill Monroe, one of the historical people of bluegrass, his definition of a bluegrass band is? Whatever his current band was, that's what bluegrass was. Uh, Bill Monroe was pretty much a self-centered, had a self-centered view of bluegrass music. And when people like younger people like Sam Bush would start doing um, maybe a Beatles song or a bird song, uh, Bill Monroe would told him, that ain't bluegrass. No, can't do that. No, you got to stick to the stuff that and if they'd done that then kept playing the stuff that they did in 1945 46 47 with earl scruggs and lester flat that was the considered the core essential bluegrass band but right. i mean you can only play the same song so many times you have to branch out and people, right, right. people like the country gentleman and new grass revival they started doing dylan stuff and bird stuff and so it kind of pushed bluegrass where you didn't have to just be a purist. You could kind of do hippie stuff, too. What comes to mind is blues fans. Some of them are purists. They want Robert Johnson. They want Freddie King. They want, you know, and that's it. Right. You know, you go beyond that, like Tedeschi Trucks, who is, oh, my goodness. Yeah, they're fantastic. They walk on water. I mean, they're like, to some of the purists, they're probably a no-no. Right, 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 yeah. It's, It's how you view it. Nothing wrong with staying pure, but if you want to branch out um, and be like Tedeschi Trucks, Jim Suler, whatever, more power to you. Yeah, That's I mean, what if, it takes. Yeah, if, if all the albums sound the same, I think after a while you might get tired of playing all Without your albums. Doubt. Without <laughs> a doubt. Back to Bill Monroe. The, the instruments typically in Bill Monroe's bluegrass would be stand up bass, no drums, rhythm guitar, mandolin, and fiddle. And now today... Like oh, well, I'm you, sorry, and banjo. And banjo, yeah. Of course, banjo. Earl Scruggs on banjo. Now, in your band, or typical bluegrass bands that we see today, what are all the instruments that we're going to see? Well, in Over the River, we have banjo, 
two guitars, upright bass, a drummer, that's a no-no, mandolin, and then sometimes I play dobro. And it's great. Our drummer plays snare with brushes, and it's a nice little percolating beat behind us, and it doesn't detract from the bluegrassness of it. Yeah, yeah. What keeps you opening up that guitar case or the dobro case every day and, and fiddling with it? What keeps you going? Well, I have no other choice, really. I mean, it's such a way of life. I've been doing it for nearly 50 years, 45 years of playing. Um, you, it's just part of your life, and to not do it is what's weird. It's kind of like when I started riding my bicycle. I was like, how am I ever going to be this going to seem natural? And now when I miss riding, it seems unnatural. So there's no way I could not play music. I guess if something catastrophic happened, that, that I would be forced to. You know, my mom and dad had music around the house uh-huh, from the okay. time I was growing up. And, and even though I didn't play until probably 19, I always had music and always knew who was playing. You know, I'd look at the albums and figure out yes. what, what this guy's playing and that guy playing and who wrote this song. Right. Read the details on the, on the, the vinyl on album. The de- without a doubt. <laughs> uh, many nights I went to sleep with my parents having a friends over in the next room listening to Willie and Ray Price and uh, George Jones. And as a kid, that was just anathema to me. I couldn't stand it. I wanted to hear Cream. I wanted to hear Hendrix. Then funny how... Things spin around, don't they? Yeah, I hit about... When I started playing Steel, something clicked in my head, and I was like, wow, that stuff's pretty good after all. Right. Well, then to me, the big thing that I started shifting from rock to blues and bluegrass and and country and and Americana is the stories. To me, the stories, there's always a story there. And sometimes they're absolutely beautiful stories, you know, written by these people. The story song, huge in bluegrass, and of course it's come down from the old country, a lot of the murder ballads and stuff. But yeah, country and Americana, the story is the thing. I love my prog rock, but some of those psychedelic lyrics don't really tell much of a story unless you made <laughs> you made up your own story when you were listening to it, and now it's in your head. Yes, or, yeah, or you had some assistance. Yeah, you had some assistance with that story. Yes. Before we started the interview, I uh, showed Kim, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Jerry Douglas album, but then I also showed him Sweetheart of the Rodeo by the Birds. And I hate to admit this, folks, but I didn't know it, but the Birds are coming to town on November 8th, I think it is? Ninth. Ninth. And yes, I mean, they are. And I was absolutely blown away. So I, I turned around before the interview started and bought the tickets. And the, one of the big stories about Sweetheart of the Rodeo is that some of the songs were written and heavily influenced by Graham Parsons. And Kim's here, sitting here wearing a T-shirt that pays tribute to several people. So you want to, can you tell a little story about that T-shirt? Well, the T-shirt says Emmy Lou and June and Graham and Johnny, too. And it's a lyric from a first aid kit song called Emmy Lou. Graham Parsons discovered Emmy Lou Harris back in what was that? 60, no, been 70, maybe 70 or so 71. Oh, Graham found her. Yeah, in Washington DC playing in a club. Really? He t- had told Hillman when they were in the Chris Fly- Hillman, yeah. When they were the in the birds. Flying Burrito Brothers right after the birds that he wanted to find a girl that could sing the high harmonies like the Leuven brothers had. Okay. And they were in a club in Washington, D.C., and Emmy Lou was banging it out. And he said, that's her. 
the rest is kind of history. They, they sang together and put out a couple of great albums before he passed away. Let's dig into that. That's kind of a, a myth. You and I talked about Polly Parsons yes. a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. I've had the pleasure of talking to Graham's daughter, Polly, a couple times on the phone. And he's one of the myths of rock and roll. Uh, but he's one of the myths that didn't survive, like Keith Richards is a myth. Willie Nelson, to a certain yeah, extent, yeah. is a myth. Without a doubt. Part of their myth is that they survive, and having taken a lot of uh, things on the side to, to help them on their little road trips. And Graham didn't make it. He, he got a little heavily into that stuff. Well, I think he might have been one of the early members of the 27 Club. Yeah. I think he was 27 when he oh, Was he 27 he too? Yeah, well. I think we got to tell our audience about that. And the I don't, 27? I, yeah, I, I got a feeling some of them don't know about the 27 Club. So we got Brian Jones, who some of you may not even know, was the, really the founder of the Rolling Stones. Yes, mm-hmm. Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse, right. And then staying on the female side of the house, Jan, Janis Joplin. Joplin. Hendrix. Oh, Jimi Hendrix, 27. Absolutely. There's another one. Oh, Jim Morrison, too, Jim right? Jim Morrison is With the Doors. One. How about this one? Okay. Robert Johnson. Really? Robert Johnson was 27 when he died. Whoa. So there's your founding member right there. There's your founding member. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. So anyway, artists that died way before their time. If people do homework, they'll read this. If you don't mind, tell the story about, okay, he passed away from an overdose, but he wanted to be buried well, he, he he didn't want to be buried in his stepfather's... That's right. ...back in uh, Winter Haven, Florida. He did not want to go back. So his road manager, Phil Kaufman, and he made a, an agreement that he would not let him go back, and he wanted to have his body burned in Joshua Tree Monument out in California, which is sadly the place where he died. He was staying at the Joshua Tree Inn. Phil Kaufman, who was a... Real mover and shaker, borrowed a hearse, dressed up like a mortician, and went to the airport and headed off his casket, uh, saying he was he had orders from the family to take him back in. They were going to do a funeral in Los Angeles. Somehow he talked his way. He got smooth talking fella. He got Graham's coffin in the hearse, took off for Joshua Tree, and the story goes about. Oh, 50, 60 miles before Joshua Tree, because that's pretty desolate out there. Uh, He wanted to get some fuel to set Graham on fire. So he went, stopped at a service station, asked the guy to fill his can uh, with gasoline. And the guy goes, "Uh, you want regular? And he goes, no, you better give me Ethel. I don't want him to ping. (laughs) What? That's the truth. That's the... (laughs) That is... That is the story that Phil Kaufman tells. Wow. Now, was Keith with him, too, at that point? No, or? no, no. They had... Um, Keith had left. But Keith, oh, was, yeah. Keith was with him when he was around when he overdosed, I believe. No, right? no, no. They oh, had, he was not? They had, they had partied there, but this was a weekend trip that they had gone from L.A. out to Joshua Tree. He, his girlfriend, another guy, and her girl, his girlfriend. So it was four people. Yeah. And they just partied too hard. The three of them left Graham at the oh, place by himself yeah. and came back, and he was blue. Yeah, yeah, and he'd, he'd mix some serious stuff. A, 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 yeah, he probably had eight or nine different types. Oh, of, man, uh, yeah. 
toxins in it. Yeah, yeah. And mentioning the myth and the challenge is that, you know, we talk about Keith Richards, we talk about Willie Nelson and the survivors, but there are people that lose. And Graham Parsons has a daughter named Polly Parsons who really didn't get to know her dad. Nope. So there's there's serious consequences Big time. on these myths and, and on drug situations. Big time. So be careful out there. You're going to play a couple songs for us. Which one do you want to play first? I'll play a Tim O'Brien song. A Tim O'Brien. So clar- clarify that. Tim O'Brien is in a uh, talking about iconoclastic bluegrass. He was in a band called Hot Rise, and they ticked off the bluegrass world because they not only had a bass player playing an electric bass, their banjo player had the audacity to run his banjo through effects pedals. Ooh, the, auda- Ooh. the audacity. So the scoundrel. They were a trendsetter. I think they're based out of Boulder. Uh, they were one of the first Colorado hippie bluegrass bands. They're, but Tim O'Brien's just a, a, a great songwriter, so I'm going to do one of his songs. What's the name of the song? You Ate the Apple. Is there a story behind it? Well, uh, Tim O'Brien tells the story is he wrote it for his kids because, you know, as parents, we tell our kids, don't do this, don't do that. And most times they listen, but a lot of times they don't listen. And then sometimes they get to the point where they're just not going to do what you say just to see what the repercussions are. Absolutely. So Tim wrote this song about the first children, Adam and Eve, and what their uh, parent told them not to do. Oh, I love it. All right. We're going to enjoy this. We'll let Kim set up right now. You ate the apple. I told you not to eat the apple. How many times did I tell you? Your friend, the serpent, if he said jump off of a cliff, would you jump off of a cliff too? Well, the fruit was poison and it made you lose your mind. When you pass judgment, you're going to leave paradise behind. You see good and evil everywhere is right and wrong. You can't be satisfied and you can't get along. You ate the apple. I told you not to eat the apple. How many times did I tell you? What were you thinking? Didn't you know you had it made living here in the garden? You ate the apple. You had to taste forbidden fruit. You had to look behind the curtain. It used to be simple and you had no fear or shame. Now you know too much and it's never gonna be the same instead of laying here in the shade you're gonna toil out in the sun i got a whole new set of rules and there used to be just one you ate the apple i told you not to eat the apple how many times did i tell you
go put some clothes on If you're gonna try and dress yourself You're gonna need more than a fig leaf When you have your own kids You can then make up your own rules But right now don't cry to me Well, the fruit was poisoned And it made you lose your mind When you pass judgment You're gonna leave paradise behind You see good and evil Everywhere is right and wrong You can't be satisfied And you can't get along You ate the apple I told you not to eat the apple How many times? Did I tell you? Kim, that was great. You ate the apple. Great story. I love it. You know, what's great is we've still got some time. And if you don't mind, uh, I'd love to have you kind of close out the show playing another song. So do you got another one in in your uh, back pocket? Well, since this is my uh, first solo tour, yes, I do. I have one (laughs) one more song. Uh, it's called One More Time. It's by a New York band called Olabelle, about a guy that um, keeps drifting around the country and creating a new persona every place he goes. One of the songwriters in Olabelle read a story in the newspaper about this dude that just kept going from town to town, spend about five years, marry someone, then move on to the next town, marry somebody else, and then finally uh, he decided it was time to settle down. That's what this song's about. In the name of the song? One more time. Kim, it's been great having you here. Thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for having much. me, Doug. I'm honored. You got it, bud. Hey, Thank it's you. an honor for me to have you here. I love, I love going to your gigs and listening to you play. It's just the greatest. Thank you, sir. All right, bud. Don't quite know when it started. All this feeling empty-hearted. Perhaps it was a month ago today The first time I heard you say Maybe we shouldn't be together Maybe we could each do better Truth is I'm just tired of lying And you're just tired of crying I'll go and find a brand new reason To keep on moving along like time and tide Pick me up, lay me down again One more time Think I'll just get into the car Drive until I've gone too far Maybe there I'll finally find what's real Something I can feel Get a job and stay a while Never again walk a lonely mile Find a brand new bunch of friends I'll even weather bitter seasons 
I won't keep moving along like time and tide Pick me up, lay me down again I'll go and find a brand new reason To keep on moving along like time and tide Pick me up, lay me down again One more time Kim is really a gifted musician. I've seen him play multiple styles of music and in different environments. He always delivers top-tier music. Be sure to check out the Facebook page for his bluegrass band, Over the River, and the country band, Lucky Pierre's, for gigs and shows. Drive on over, pop a cold one, pull up a chair, and enjoy. All right, Austin City Limits Music Festival. The headliners, Paul McCartney and Metallica, were great. The bummer deal of the weekend was that the third night headliner, Childish Gambino, couldn't perform because just a week before, when gigging here in Dallas, he broke his ankle. His given name is Donald Glover. A few years ago, he starred in the TV show Community, but over the last two years, he has created, written, directed, and acted in the show Atlanta. It truly is a brilliant show. You will look at color in a different way after watching Atlanta. Back to ACL. So what are my thoughts on the next wave of artists? St. Vincent, whose birth name is Annie Aaron Clark and who grew up in Dallas, was super. Ellie King had her crowd singing and rocking. Solid performances were delivered by Asleep at the Wheel, Revolution, a high-powered funk band, Texas Gentleman, and in the ska-slash-hip-hop quarter-note-bashing genre, I liked Ex-Ambassadors and Phoenix. The discovery bands of the weekend, for whom I will be buying vinyl albums of, are Flor de Toloche. Let me try that again. I hope I'm not botching this up too bad. Sorry, ladies. Flor de Toloche, a female mariachi band, had the audience in the palm of their hands. Oh, they were, they were wonderful. Amen Dunes, the band delivered smooth songs with a bit of psychedelic that were excellent, excellent stories. Lastly, Greta Van Fleet. If you are looking for the new type Led Zeppelin band, then these guys are it. Check out any and all of these musicians. Take care, and let's talk again next week. Amy, take us home. For ongoing updates, follow Dogger and Muddy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Till next time. Adios. Speak punches underwater, drifting in the open sea. Or is this a dream? Cannot see over me to trust this to falter and to taste to receive. Is this a dream? I won't.